Little Pleasures, the best kept secret, and an iconic wine bar in London. You're on the road with Chuck Kramer, Mr. California Wine. I live in London selling damn good California wine across Europe for the Tolado family. And this podcast is about California, my home state, the Golden State, and its awesome wines. This week, I'm interviewing the person who runs London's most famous wine bar, Cork and Bottle. Every Thursday, we're going to have some fun and ultimately improve your boozing. The little pleasures in life can be as simple as walking down the steps into one of your favorite bars. I remember my first time in Boston back in 1993 when I was working for Converse, a famous footwear company. And I fell in love with this city big time. It's knee deep in American history, the Boston Tea Party, and the legendary ride of Paul Revere. The British are coming, the British are coming. And that will be true once again now that the U.S. has opened up air travel to the Brits from November 8th. And it's about time. Boston is as glamorous as it is fun. I love hanging out in the bars at Copley and Cambridge Squares, having dinner at Smith & Walensky, catching a ball game at the oldest ballpark in the United States, Fenway Park, home to the Boston Red Sox. And I will never, ever forget walking down the most well-known steps. No, not the Spanish steps, but those most famous steps leading down to one of America's most celebrated bars, Cheers. Cheers is located on Beacon Hill, and this friendly neighborhood bar inspired the hit TV series, and without a doubt, my top 10 sitcom of all time, Cheers. And as I walk down the steps to Cork and Bottle in London's Leicester Square, I get the same feeling when I first went to Cheers in Boston. The Cork and Bottle is an enjoyable place where everybody knows your name. The atmosphere is always festive, relaxing, and often boozy. I'm going to go so far as to compare my guest this week to Cheers famous bartender, Sam. While my guest never pitched for the Boston Red Sox, He's always there to greet you with a warm, friendly smile and entertain you with his quick, witty, and engaging humor. The Cork and Bottle has been around since 1971 and continues to impress with homestyle cooking, an inspiring wine list, and super friendly and knowledgeable staff. Hey, I'm getting thirsty and carried away. I need to get back on the road. I've got this week's guest waiting for me in Cork and Bottle's cellar. So buckle up. Here we go on the road. A quick word from the buyer. The buyer.net is your connection to the premium on trade. The buyer.net is your on trade platform, linking key industry leaders, influencers, producers, and suppliers in order to improve reach and awareness in the UK hospitality sector. My guest this week is familiar with all aspects of the hospitality industry, with particular emphasis on opening new sites, wine sourcing and buying, and ensuring customer satisfaction. His life motto, life is too short to drink bad wine. He's the general manager of London's most famous wine bar, Cork and Bottle, right here in London in Leicester Square. You're on the road with Mr. California Wine, and my guest this week is Vash Sedlak. Vash, always good to see you. And thank you very much for being on the road with me this week. Hi, Chuck. It's a pleasure as always. Um, You know, great talking to you. 
Yeah, like where you're sitting there downstairs in the cave. I've had dinner there with uh, Mike and Elliot A1, and I'm looking forward to coming back very, very uh, soon. Vash, let's talk about your career. How long have you been involved in the wine industry? I have uh, stumbled over this place in the late 90s and uh, sort of uh, asked if there's any job, and they said yes. So, uh, really, really long time, uh, over 20 years now. And, uh, you know, it's a love affair, me and uh, this place, and I uh, really, really like the atmosphere, the customers, the wines, and sometimes even suppliers like yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's good to hear. I'm glad I'm, not, I'm glad I'm not chased out of there. What's your role there right now? You know, we don't really play on a big management uh, roles here. I've, I've been running this place for um, over 15 years. It's a GM, whatever. It's, um, it's a lovely place where we all work as a team and the team is only strong as this weakest link. So, you know, hands-on, it's uh, the name of the game. Yeah, well, you have a fantastic team. The, 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 the people downstairs, they're on top of their game. They're wine knowledgeable. Uh, they really look after the customers and especially the uh, the regulars. Look at Cork and Bottle Wine Bar in London is an institution. When did the doors first open? Cork and Bottle, uh, as we know it now, opened in 1971. And uh, it's been really one of the first massive uh, and iconic wine bars in uh, in London those days where it was very different by with atmosphere, the offer they provided uh, to uh, pubs and bars in those days. You know, West End has been a rough and tough place where people, especially ladies, didn't have a place to go to. Now, um, over the years, it's obviously needed to be changed because uh, not only the industry has caught up with uh, places like us, but uh, make it better. But uh, we are very happy to cater for everyone and uh, welcome everyone to the doors. Yeah, no, it's a great place to be. I love the atmosphere. You got a big time wine offering there, uh, wines that are approachable, you know, price-wise to drink by the, uh, by the glass, which is uh, fantastic. So 1971, I was in there not too long ago having uh, dinner and I noticed you have it's almost kind of like watching the old TV series, Batman, you know, where the, the red phone was like in a case and you have that pie in a case and it's highlighted 1971. And I jokingly said to you, has that pie been there since 1971? <laughs> but, but was that, was, was, is that like the first dish to pie? Was that like, is that why it's highlighted? What's the story behind that? Yeah, right. Uh, well, it's, it's all about licensing really. They, uh, as a wine bar, they had, uh, no uh, food license those days so they have to do like uh, pies and uh, sandwiches so they always tweaked dishes in order to have uh, accommodated the license so steak would be served on the piece of bread it would be a steak sandwich and it was a sandwich so this pie has been created uh, for purposes of uh, being a pie kept uh, warm all the time so it's one of those things which people come and uh, you don't really go to a wine bar to if, if you are on a diet don't you and this is the, the dirty pleasure you know the guilty pleasure you like and then uh, we just chuck in a little bit of salad to satisfy those people who goes oh it's too much cheese well let's have a green salad <laughs> <laughs> it's uh yeah 
heart attack on the plate. <laughs> exactly. Always looking after the welfare of your uh, of your customers. I like I like that. Let me ask you this. Tough year, tough year 2020, tough year to the start of 2021. After 18 months of reboots, reopening, et cetera, when did Cork and Bottle reopen for business, for good? Uh, for good. That's a very good one. Um, we tried to reopen several times during the pandemic and always cause a lot of problems. We are very limited by theater goers. And, you know, if tourists are within, they will flood all the other places and regulars will come back to us so uh, we've tried to open and close because it wasn't creating much money but now we've opened in september and uh, it looks like uh, we hit the we hit the, the right spot because uh, we are busy every night and it's really really nice to see customers coming back in and enjoying the uh, little pleasures that the wine industry uh, gives them, you know, traveling the world in the wine, different wines. It's it's wonderful. And uh, we've got good food offering, freshly cooked. So it's um, that's what the attraction from us. I, I tell you, I, I have to highlight, I want to point out the chicken schnitzel with the potato salad is awesome. So anybody listening who hasn't had the chicken schnitzel with some nice wine at Cork and Bottle, you have to go. Let me ask you, uh, so business is good, fantastic location. A couple of times I've been in there, you've been heaving. What did you get up to during the downtime as you like opened and closed, uh, you know, the wine bar, the restaurant? What did you do? We've, we've tried to do a lot of things. And one of the things we did is literally for once, we stripped the place down and uh, paint it and uh, do little repairs around here, but try to make sure that it still looked the same way before. So uh, the little team we, we've been left with, uh, we've done a lot of uh, little works around here and, uh, you know, uh, try to do a bit of education, try to do little home deliveries, Anything, anything what was on offer. But uh, look, we came up out of uh, the tunnel on the other side and we're quite happy that uh, we are in the full swing. Out of having uh, seven days a week off, now having almost none, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, a, it's a tough life. Yeah, yeah, always, yeah. Some, always something to complain about. <laughs> always, yeah, but with the new, with the new paint job, it looks, uh, it looks good. So since you've reopened in September, What's the single biggest challenge you've faced? Uh, it's this is staffing. Staffing is not only the pandemic; it's as well the Brexit, which start popping up again. Uh, it was insignificant before, but now we're realizing there are no European people who would be coming here for not work, but they will be coming here studying or anything else, but need to survive. So they would come in and be happy to work for minimum wage plus strong and just enjoy the life in London. So they're gone. So now we have to depend on uh, young British people who actually don't have the reason to really work hard. And uh, now it's sort of start coming back up and we're hoping we, we build a team from these people because it's really, really impossible to get staff so we, we can't be open fully because of staffing and that's a whole industry around and not just this industry is uh, many other suffering through um, lack of um, people in the area so let me ask you this um 
Right now, what are what are the trading hours for Cork, Cork and Bottle? When are you guys open? Well, at this moment, we open uh, Tuesday to Saturday evenings and Friday, Saturday lunchtimes. So um, now we got a few more people. So we're hoping we're going to fulfill all the lunches and uh, maybe in a couple of weeks open a Monday as well, whole day. So we're going to have uh, just one day close, which will be Sunday for now. It's very difficult. We need to work it out, but we will. We will. Okay. Now, you guys have been around since 1971. You'll be around for another 50 years. Like I mentioned, fantastic location. You come out of Leicester Square. You're right there. You're in the heart of Leicester Square. Do you guys need to do much like marketing or advertising to promote to get people inside the restaurant or as soon as the as soon as doors open, people people are there? We are the best kept secret of London. You know, it's is a fantastic place which has uh, got massive um, customer base over the years. However, they are not getting any younger. So uh, we need to get social media up and running um, to attract the younger generation, discover this place, which is uh, not that difficult because once you pop, you can't stop. They're coming here and then loving it. These little alcoves, they're selling themselves. So um, starting usually with the groups of girls coming here, having fun, and then they start bringing your boyfriends and uh, that's it. You know, 20 years later, you will have a people coming here. Oh, I first met my husband here and uh, he proposed here for me. All these stories are coming up and uh, it's really, really lovely that we've been over the years, a huge part of uh, many, many people's life. Great story. Let's look at your suppliers. How many wine suppliers are you currently working with? We've got about 10 UK suppliers, which we sort of shuffle in between because uh, the shipments we are doing ourselves, which is about 40% of the wine list, are mainly French wines. So the new world, it's no point shipping because there's a plenty of uh, great suppliers within the UK who are uh, bringing a lot of uh, special wines. And uh, if you sort of pick, from different suppliers, it does uh, allows you to be niche and different. So it's really good. Forty percent you ship direct from uh, from from Europe. Let me ask you this: in terms of working with your UK uh, suppliers, what are the your two top to three qualities that you look for in a good supplier? It's always a personal attachment to a supplier. It we need we need to be nearly a friend because. Uh, if uh, people don't come often enough, you you lose the touch. They they need to come in with the samples, you know, treat us as, hey, this is what I've got. Occasionally, well, pre-COVID, we did the wine tasting. So the willingness to help us with the uh, extra bits and uh, promoting their own wines, bringing winemakers over because we like to um, educate our staff as well, which is uh, quite important. And Nothing better is than when you bring uh, knowledgeable people and people who actually live the wine to the bar and the staff spends 20 minutes with them and they sort of go, wow, that's very interesting. And then you can see them that the whole night they just they kept that wine in their head and goes, oh, this wine, I just tasted it this afternoon and they sell, sell, sell. So personal touch, it's what uh, suppliers needs. Most of them we've lost in the past because they wouldn't bother to come to see us. 
spend some time with you guys, not only sell wine, but also support you guys, send some time there. I mean, it is a great atmosphere. You just want to sit at a table and eat and drink wine and, and not leave. So right now, what's your biggest ask from a UK supplier? What do you want from them right now? Just be patient. Hold on, guys. We've, uh, <laughs> we are sort of sitting on a lot of stock. Uh, for from pre-pandemic and uh, we need to get rid of that as a patience and uh, you know just uh, work with us on whatever we need and what um, we will have to do we don't know what's gonna come if another lockdown or anything else coming so we have to take it very slowly tune down the wine list or no wines will be adding to a wine list at this moment because we've got so much stock uh, sitting on. So we just need to go with the flow until end of the year and hoping for a kickoff in January, February with a new power, a <laughs> new okay. wind in the cells. Sounds good. Um, you're not the only one in this situation. I'm curious, roughly, how many wines do you have on your list total? It used to be over 300. Uh, it's being slowly tuned down. So we're about 250 to 300 at this moment. Yeah. Two, 250, so two, 250 wines. Okay, list. And how many, roughly, how many wines by the glass? Um, well, it's about 30 odd wines. Yeah. It's, it's a lot on offer. So there's always uh, something to offer to anyone yeah, who that's walks a, through doors. That's a good that's a good range. That's a good offering by the glass. Vash, as you know, this podcast is about California and its awesome wines. Can I ask you, what's your perception of California right now versus say 10 years ago? Um, I've always looked at California as uh, one of those places which uh, was a land of opportunity. I loved it when the pioneering it was a sort of romanticism of a wine. People would take the uh, off cuttings of a wine and uh, plant it in California and uh, make up through the world while France and Italy would have a centuries behind them or experience. You know, the rules of California always been, they are no rules, <laughs> which was really, really good. They, they could have found um, their wines wherever and uh, plant. I mean, so they would uh, come up into Europe with uh, fantastic wines and we would cork and bottle would support the upcoming wines and then they will made it and uh, you will never hear, hear from them because they made it into the places which we can't afford so um, California used to offer better quality wine in the past than uh, probably more affordable than they, than they do now because we are sort of mid-range place which we have to look after our customers of course, making a wine list uh, with a lot of expensive wines, it's not that difficult, but you need mm. to find wines which are value for money and actually sellable to your customers. So that is becoming uh, the task of California. The wines offering is great. The quality is fantastic now late in the last five years, but the price goes with it. So um, you know yourself, you're always coming with uh, your lovely selection and uh, and uh, I, I'll go, my eyes are shining until you mention the price. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to work on that. But I do appreciate your support. You've always had Rutherford Hill, uh, the yeah. Merlot on, on the list. And I do appreciate that uh, support. So, you know, you're asking your suppliers to be patient. You're sitting on some stock that you got to get through, say, come spring, you know, February, March, whatever you, you start looking to maybe add some things. Let me ask you this. Come the new year, is there any like one grape variety 
or producer that you that that you'd want to put that you'd want to see on that list? No, really. At this moment, my mind is not at any single people I would love to see. We have uh, Californian stars that people come and get it. Your Rutherford Hill sells occasionally, but it's a very pleasure wine to sell because people appreciate it and you watch them to drink it and they go, mm, yeah, that's really good. We've got other other great varieties from California, which uh, is Pinot Noir and Zinfandels, and uh, they they doing really really good job. So my priority is uh, at this moment to get this place rolling and uh, yeah, and then see what's gonna come later. That's a fair point. Can you tell me what's your favorite wine producing region in California? Do you have one? My favorite region would be Napa because the wonderful Cabernets and uh, Pinot Noirs uh, coming from everywhere from not only Napa, Oregon. I would love to do the tour of Napa. It's a lot of wonderful wineries which are actually growing still and making the wonderful wines. It would be awesome. Okay, so yeah, if you could get on a flight tomorrow, you would go to Napa. Yeah, you you can take me to Napa, Chuck. Yes. Okay. All right. Sounds <laughs> <laughs> sounds good. We'll take take you to Rutherford Hill. Vash, I really I really enjoyed having you on. Uh, but before you go, I'm going to ask you four questions. I call this the bin and Q&A. Give me your first answer. Are you ready to go? Yeah, let's go. Let's do it. What's your go-to quaffing wine at home this week? I'll tell you what, I've uh, I've got a lovely bottle of uh, Julienas, which is uh, Cru Beaujolais, and it's absolutely fantastic. It's made by a friend of mine's family, uh, Geoffrey Benin, and uh, it's not just quaffable, it's really, really enjoyable one. Cru Beaujolais, that sounds really tasty. If you could own any vineyard or winery in the world, which one? I think, because I spend uh, quite a uh, lot of time in Beaujolais, it's not just the wine, it's the people around, it's the food. That would be probably a place to be. It's, uh, it's a wonderful area in France, and uh, you know it's close enough to Burgundy, where I love my Pinot Noirs, and it's uh, you know not far to drive from Rhone, where you can get uh, more uh, hefty, uh, rich wines, and uh, you know everything else you can buy. Yeah, strategically located. I like that answer. <laughs> Living or dead, which celebrity would you want to share a bottle of wine with? Say a Cru Beaujolais at dinner at Cork and Bottle. You know what? I would really love to have dinner with a Freddie Mercury. I'm not sure if he was a wine drinker. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe when you're enjoying your Cru, Cru Beaujolais, he'd be doing something else in that cave back there, right? <laughs> well, yeah, that wouldn't be with me. But um, yeah, I would. Uh, yeah, it would be nice to have a dinner with him. Freddie Mercury, that's the first time I've had that answer. That's a great answer. Great singer. Money, no object. Which bottle of California wine would you open with dinner tonight? Well, we've had a wonderful guest yesterday, a good friend of mine, uh, James, popping in, and uh, he has opened a bottle of Dacron Golden Eye Pinot Noir. It was absolutely fantastic. And, you know, if I would have time to sip it away, I would have that one again. It's gorgeous uh, wine. Yeah, fantastic producer, Dacron. Great answer. Well, listen, Vash. I really, really enjoyed having you on the road with me uh, this week, and I'm looking forward to coming back in very soon. Well, it will be a pleasure to see you again, Chuck. Don't forget to bring some samples.
<laughs> I will bring loads. I will bring loads of samples. Awesome. Brilliant. Thanks, Vash. Thank you Thanks. very much for having me. I want to thank Vash Sedlock for being on the road with me this week. Vash is an awesome dude and a great host when you pitch up for a drink and a bite to eat at Cork and Bottle. I'm a huge fan of this wine bar, London's best kept secret. Cork and Bottle is something like 30 wines to choose from by the glass. And their chicken schnitzel with potato salad is out of this world delicious. The wine list may favor France, yet they offer a wide range of gorgeous wines from all over the world, including our own Rutherford Hill Merlot from Napa. If you haven't been to Cork and Bottle in the heart of London's Leicester Square, then I have to ask, what's wrong with you? I highly recommend you check it out on your next night out in the West End and enjoy a bottle of wine in a fun and relaxing atmosphere and ask for Vash. Now it's time for Wine of the Week. And since we are drinking at Cork and Bottle this week, my pick goes to Four Vines Infidel. By the bottle, this Zin is super quaffable, enjoyable, and affordable. My friend Chris Mantai with the Wine Treasury does a fantastic job selling Four Vines and other tasty California wines. Check it out. And I have a California fact for you. Did you know that California produces 85% of the wine coming out of the United States? The Golden State is numero uno in wine and ranks third in land size after Alaska and Texas. Thanks for tuning in this week, and I hope you enjoyed our chat with Vash Sedlak. And I will be back next week interviewing sisters Sandy and Michelle of Wines to Find Podcast. If we can't hop on a flight to the Golden State, I'll bring California to you. It would be awesome, so awesome, if you would continue to share this podcast with your friends. See you next week on the road with Mr. California Wine. Take it easy.